And then the week before, we had Russ Wilson come and speak. Uh, he did Galatians 2, 11 to 14. Uh, he wasn't thrilled that I gave him that verse because it's where Paul confronts Peter. Uh, and the reason being is because Peter, you know, he had been eating with the Gentiles. He had been, he'd been hanging out with them. He's been fellowshipping with them. And then some guys came up, some Jewish leaders from Jerusalem. And then Peter kind of fell back into the old way where he's like, yeah, he wasn't hanging out with the Gentiles that much. He didn't want to eat with them because some of that thought became... a true again where he thought where their unholiness might rub off on him. Because Peter, he was a proper Jew. He grew up born a Jew. And he had this dream, though, in Acts 10, if we remember this dream in Acts 10, where the sheet was rolled out and then had all the list of these animals that were unclean, like a rabbit and shrimp and pigs. And then he said, you know, kill and eat. And so I like to call this the pigs in the blanket dream. Uh, <laughs> You ever have pigs in the blanket? And where I grew up, they're called cabbage rolls, but my mom called them pigs in the blanket. I don't know why, but anyways, at first, Peter, he resists. He's kind of like, oh, no, no, no. But God shows him that Jesus' death and has made all foods clean for all believers. And ritual cleanliness no longer had anything to do with being close to God. So Peter is dwelling and eating with the Gentiles, but something happened that made him turn away from that belief. The thought crept back in that Gentile Christians adopt the Jewish culture in order to be Christians, to be true Christians, to be true followers of Christ. But then Paul reminds Peter, you know, that's not right, man. And he reminds him why it isn't right. And so that's where Russ was talking on. But these next two verses, they flow with that. Because then Paul now starts to talk about why it's not right, why this is the way it is. And so before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather and hear your word. Lord, I pray that as we listen and as we uh, consume it, Lord, that it would, it would do something to our hearts, to our minds, Lord, and it would it radically change us, Lord, to be different than when we walked in. So I pray that you would just guide, guide us as we move. Lord, I pray that our hearts would uh, be open to those, those things, those truths that are maybe not ringing quite true with us, but I pray that they would ring true with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Excuse me, I'm take a sip of water. My throat is really, really dry, but we're going to power through. Anyways, let's open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Galatians 2, 15 to, sec to 16. If you do it on the phone, I mean, we already took our phone out once today to download the app, so you might as well take it out again. Uh, if not, it's going to be up here on the screen. So whatever you feel comfortable with, we are here for all, all sets of scripture reading, phone, Bible. TV screen, whatever it is, we come and we come prepared. Anyways, it says this, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. And so here it is, Paul is talking to Peter. And this might seem like over the top. Like Paul starts to explain the gospel to Peter. Like Peter, the man who walked with Jesus. Peter, the man who saw, you know, Jesus' life played out in like real time, live on stage. It seems like maybe condescending. But Paul is saying, Peter, at its core, what you just did to those Gentiles, this is a gospel issue. And the gospel is this, that we are justified not because of something about us, or something we eat or don't eat or do or don't do, but because we accept Christ's righteousness as our own. The word justified means to declare guiltless. 
like you would declare someone innocent in a trial. And at that point, you are saying they are no longer liable for any penalty, but entitled to all the privileges of someone who has kept the law. And that's crazy, right? You've broken the law, but we find you justified. And so you get all the privileges as if you've kept the law. And this is huge because originally we, like, we were caught in our sin. And the law was put into place to help us be close to God. That's why it was there. But what was realized through the law is that we couldn't keep it. We couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. We read the Old Testament. It couldn't. The law helped us realize this. We are sinners. When we receive Christ's righteousness by faith, we are now justified. Declared guiltless and perfect in God's sight. We are completely accepted, beloved sons and daughters of God. It's amazing. That's the basis of our acceptance. If I say some words funny... It's not because I have trouble saying them. It's because I have trouble saying them. <laughs> and when we really embrace that, it, when we really embrace this, when we really embrace that we are justified through Christ, it tears down any sense of superiority we may feel towards someone else. How can I explain this maybe a little bit differently? Um, I like going to sporting events. When we go on vacation, the, one of the things I look to do is like, where can we go? What game can we watch? I love going to games. Like, there's something about who likes baseball. I, I like baseball. Sometimes we don't like watching baseball because we think it's boring. But going to a baseball game is awesome. Like, going to, hearing the crack of the bat, being in the sun is so amazing in the summertime. And then having a hot dog, it tastes, like, so different when it's at the ball game. You forget what's in a hot dog when you're eating it at a ball game. And then you just, and there's the fans, and you're with each other. If you go to a basketball game, it's even better. Like, I remember going to a game and just seeing like when someone dunked, it's like jump up and just dunk it and you're like watching on TV, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad, that great. But then when you're there in real life and you see it, you're like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Because you hear like the crack of the rim, you hear them scream, you hear like, it's just amazing. And so uh, go to a basketball game if you have a chance. But the, like the really the fun part of it is like, this great part is getting a ticket. Like I'm the one like, I don't like to get the ticket on my phone. Like, I like to, like, order the ticket, have it come in the mail, or pick it up at will call. Like, there's no sense, like, walking out the door and being, like, I like saying, hey, do you got the tickets? Like, the irony that we could possibly lose the tickets is, like, exciting to me, too. And so, it's not like, hey, did you got the phone? It's like, what do you mean you got the phone? Like, it's such a, like, I guess, it, okay, anyways. But you get a ticket. And so, the ticket is what justifies me to being in the game. It lets me go to enjoy the benefits of the game. Unless I sneak in. No, I'm just kidding. But what is our ticket to be justified in his presence? How are we justified to be in his presence? Because the Bible talks about this term justified or justification. Which speaks about God judging whether or not we are living as part of the family. So let's read this verse again. We who are Gen Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So what justifies us before God? What enables us to enjoy the divine you know, event in light of life and eternity? How are we justified? Paul puts it like this in Romans 3, 22 to 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. 
We continue on. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. We continue one more. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This all just goes back to this soul condition. Augustine explained it like this. The result of our sin was a sense of nakedness. So when you're naked, you feel exposed. You feel kind of, you feel out there. Within our, except if you're my kids, they, they like being naked. It's, it's something we're working on. And so I don't know why I threw that out there. Anyways, <laughs> within our nakedness, we're trying to cover ourselves up. And so we feel exposed. Whatever we are cover ourselves up with is the thing that justifies us. So that thing now that makes us feel comfortable around people, that thing that makes us feel like we can go out and see people or it makes us feel comfortable is now what justifies us. Makes us feel, feel right. Makes us feel we're good. And so we're always trying to justify ourselves. To set ourselves apart from others. We look for something to be our righteousness. It's like life is this big episode of Survivor and we're trying to convince everyone. We're trying to convince everyone around us that I'm not the one that should be thrown off the island. And because of this, because of this sense of nakedness, we're in constant competition with others. Because the essence of pride is competition. It's a pride, it's not a matter that I'm smart, it just matters I'm smarter than you. Or it's not that I'm good, but it's I'm better than you. And this kind of thinking fuels division. I have to protect and defend my distinctiveness because they give me value and worth above everything else. That's how I feel accepted. That's my righteousness. People say that's why I hate religion. It makes people feel self-righteous and competitive. But listen, all people, not religious people, we do this. We try to prove ourselves to others. We're trying to prove our right standing. We're trying to prove our righteousness. We're trying to be good. And we tend to do this with God. Our to be righteous, to, we, we try to be righteous to be with him, to be justified. We get out our performance record. We develop our own righteousness. We offer it, and if it's good enough, we are worthy and accepted. That's what we think. Oh, this is good. I, I've done a good job. Here it is. This is, like, God, look what I've done. But we see in Romans and here in Galatians that as a gift from Christ, when we accept him, we take on his righteousness. Because he became sin. He didn't sin. He didn't make a mistake. He became sin as took on our sin and died for those on the cross so we would now have Christ's righteousness, his standing with God within us. And so Paul, he is reminding Peter, this is now the way we are, we are righteous with Christ. This is the way we're justified with Christ. And so Paul reminds Peter this. Paul reminds Peter that the I'm good enough ticket isn't good anymore. If we look at the verse right at the beginning, it says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul comes right out and tells Peter, we are Jews, not Gentile sinners. It seems like a slam, like, hey, remember Paul or Peter, we're Jews, we're not Gentile sinners. But he's doing that in order to say the next statement, because that's not good enough anymore. 
He's like, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. The Jews, they were making some big assumptions. They believed they were good with God of their, because of their heritage, because of their race, because of how they grew up. And they're like, yeah, we're not like those Gentile sinners. That's not us. We're, we're cooler than them. And it was in their nature to presume God's favor upon them. And what they've done, the temptation for Jews has always been to presume upon God's grace because they possess God's law. They're like, we've got it. We know it. We kept it. And so we're the Jews. We're the chosen one. That We're good enough. You're not as good as us. But John the Baptist, he confronted a similar kind of presumption on the banks of the Jordan. As many of the Jews of that day were coming to be baptized, John said this, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So these words were just meant to, to pierce right through their Jewish presumption. The Jews were like, we're promised salvation. We're all right. We're Jews. But John the Baptist retorts. He says this. He will be faithful to fulfill his promises to the children, to Abraham, but he will not fulfill them to unbelieving, unrepentant children of Abraham. And if all the children should be unrepentant and unbelieving, he would raise up some from stones children who would believe and repent. And so he's like, if, yeah, you're Jews, that's great. But if you're unbelieving and unrepentant, not cool. He's like, I'll raise up these stones to be believing and repentant. They thought they were good enough. They thought they had it. They thought they were in. But who they were wasn't good enough anymore. Paul spent a good amount of time reminding them that who they were before Jesus came into their lives. He reminded them who they were before Christ came into their lives. It says this in Ephesians 2, 1 to 2. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That word dead should remind us something. It should remind us something about ourselves. What can a dead person do? What can a dead person do? I haven't seen a dead person do anything since Weekend at Bernie's. And so, we watched the Weekend at Bernie's, but we know it's not a true story. We know it's fiction, right? Sorry to burst the bubble if you haven't seen Weekend at Bernie's. But we physically can't do anything. We have no life, no movement. That was us before Christ came. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't even find him. He found us. I've heard it explained this way. It's like we're running through the forest and we're running as fast as we can away from something. And then we trip and then we fall. And then we look up and we're like, oh, I'm so happy I found you. It's like, did you find them? You were just running and you tripped and you fell and there they were right there. But Christ has found us. He is the one pursuing us. And so... We must ask ourselves this question. We must ask it daily. We must ask it as we go through this week. Are we relying upon who we are 
or what we've done for our right standing with God. How are we, how are we finding our right standing with God? Is it who we think we are or what we think we've done? How do you know if we may be falling into this I'm good enough mindset? We might think like this. Because at the heart of Peter's thinking was this mindset that I'm better than you. The heart of Peter's thinking was this mindset, I'm better than you. I'm a Jew. I'm better. And sometimes we think this way. We think some personal accomplishments or characteristics set us apart and justify us before others. We tend to see maybe people in categories, successful, unsuccessful, the intelligent and the dull, the beautiful and the ugly, the fit and the fat, the rich and the poor. We tend to categorize people. And we look down on those who maybe we think is, are less than we are in this year, these areas. And we feel maybe intimidated by those who we think are better than us. But our talents, the things that we've been given, the things that God is, we, we take credit for, they're actually not even ours, that we meant, we've made. It's something that came down through our genes, it came down through Christ, it's something that was imparted to us. And then God now, he gives us the opportunity to pursue these things. Because then how, what if I think, what if I think this way? Think I'm so good. What if I was born as an orphan in Somalia? Do I think I'd be where I am right now if that was the case? It's a gift. This life is a gift. Everything that we've received, it's a gift from Christ. The talents that we were given, they couldn't justify us before God. So we, who we are at birth, Jew or non-Jew, talented, not talented, is not how we are deemed to be justified. Paul, he also reminds Peter that race no longer matters. He's like, this is it. Race does not matter anymore, Paul or Peter. There are no Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians. They're just Christians. Little English, English, lesson, English lesson for you. Sorry. Sip of water. Here it comes. Better word pronunciation now shall begin. Anyways, <laughs> Christian, when we do something like that, when we say Jewish Christian, Gentile Christian, Christian is a then a noun. Because when you throw those in front of it, Jewish or Gentile, or maybe black or white, or maybe Reformed or Anabaptist, that becomes the adjective. So that becomes the thing that now describes the noun. So when you do that, you've got to keep Christian looking like the adjective that describes it or it ceases to be Christian. But in reality, our cultures, yes, they, they do define us. They, they do shape us. They, they help us think certain ways, and they're great. God's made us so different. But our culture, Jewish, Gentile, American, Canadian, black, white, Reformed, Anabaptist, has nothing to do with the essence of being a Christian. Because Christ says we are all one race. Paul even goes on to call his Jewishness in Philippians 2 garbage. That's a pretty strong word, but the word he used wasn't gar garbage. It was called scubala. Scubala is a fun word. We're going to use this the rest of the week. Can we say scubala? Scubala. But it's actually not a word you want your 12-year-old Jewish boy to be saying. And so it's, uh, that's how much he thought terrible it was. He was like, it's scubala. God is not telling Jewish people to become Gentiles or Gentiles to become Jews. He's not telling white people to be black people or black people to be white people. He's telling all people to be kingdom people. 
having crucified their Jewishness to the cross and regarding it as skubala in giving them worth or justifying them before God. The identity that needs to be biggest is that we are within Christ. That is who we are. We are within him. We are Christ's followers, one race, one being. Paul reminds Peter and us that the reader and the reader that I've done enough ticket. The I've done enough ticket is actually it's not enough. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul and Peter both had a good birth. They were Jews. That's what they were taught. We had a good birth. We're Jews. And they had good works. They had carried out the law in their previous life. They were very good law followers. They had a whole system of things back in, when the, in the time when the law was to be followed. Things of, that distinguished them from the world. There were 613 laws. But then what they would also do is so they wouldn't even come close to disobeying the laws. They would create a hedge around those laws. So more laws. So it's like if I told my kids, hey, you can't watch Netflix. That's the law. And they're like, okay. But like, well, you know what? Don't go on the computer because you might watch it. Or don't actually even turn on the TV because you might watch it. Or actually you can't, you have friends that like Netflix? Yeah, you can't go to their house because you might watch it. So then they had the 613 laws, then they created more laws around it. And the list got up to the thousands. And I can't even remember 10. I imagine like, what if we were doing that like back in the day? It's like, how far can we walk on the Sabbath again? Can we eat llama meat? Is that cool? How about turkey bacon? It's not bacon. It's turkey. Can we wear yoga pants in public? Is that a forbidden fabric? I don't know. These things separated them from others. And if you did them, you were accepted by God. And if you didn't, you were rejected. Paul right now is pitting these two against each other. That's what he's doing. He has this one way of the law and its works. This is the one basis. And he has Jesus and his death and resurrection right here. Through his encounter with the risen Christ, Paul come to realize that righteousness or justification cannot come through the law. And Paul had been a good law-abiding citizen. Why not? For the same reason the writer to the Hebrews recognized. He said this in Hebrews. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. The provisions of the law cannot deal with the problem of sin. There's only one way to effectively deal with the problem of sin. Whether in the world, in our lives, it's the death of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to deal with it. Paul even considers all that he'd done before, all the works that he did before. He said this about them in Philippians 3, 8-9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of just knowing, of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. English word thrown in there, rubbish. I can't say it as well as Margaret or John, but rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's saying, in a nutshell, we're this. We're created by God, broken by sin, 
not able to fix ourselves. But the good news is this. We mess up all the time. As Christians, that doesn't preclude you from the blessing of God, though. Past, present, future sin forgiven. Doesn't mean we go sin and willy-nilly. We follow him. We serve him. We want to live close to him in accordance with him and his word. But the guilt and shame disappear. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes. We tend to be a works-based righteousness, right? Because let's say we're at work and we mess up. We do something that we shouldn't have done. We've made a mistake. And our boss tells us, you know, you're going to have to work to get back in my good books. Then we begin to work to get back into their good books. Or maybe you've had parents. Your father wasn't like, didn't love you a whole lot. And so when you made a mistake, you could feel that separation. And so you're always trying to do things that will make him happy, but it never actually makes him happy. And so we've become works-based because this may be the way we've grown up. And so it's hard to, uh, my voice just cracked because it hurts. And so, but it's hard to come to this faith where it's like, just come to the Father because he loves you. He forgives you. We're like, no, 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 no. That's not the way I've grown up. I, how can I just come to him? I've made a mistake. He says, no, it's okay. It's all good. I've clothed you in my righteousness. It's like, no, no, no. Let me do something for you. He's like, you, you, just come to me. That's simply what you need to do. Come to me. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we convinced that Christ's death is the only reliable basis of our right standing before God? Are we convinced of that? Do we live with that mindset? Because it will dictate how we function. How do you know if you're living like this? Well, the next time you feel that you sin, you fall short, you make a mistake, think about how you approach God. Just think about it. You know, maybe you feel like you've made a mistake. Think about how you come to Christ. Do you start to do things maybe to try to make him happy, to get back, like, I got to do this before I get back and, you know, I can, be, I can stand before him? Or you simply just come to him, remembering it's not your righteousness that makes you justified. It's his. And you just repent and you move on knowing he loves you. Another way you might feel like you're a bit law-based, there's a sense sometimes of, we talked about this a little bit earlier, of superiority that comes with this type of thinking. You feel a sense of pride because you've had a good life. You've never been to prison or fired from a job, or you didn't get pregnant before you were married, or you, became a good or you came from a good family where your parents never got divorced. And listen, these are all good things, things that we don't, we don't want to happen. But sometimes we feel maybe this distinction because we followed the rules of faith. We get the sense of superiority over others. Like I know someone who said their parents wouldn't let them date someone whose parents got divorced because you know that kind of thing runs in the blood. In Christ, this is what we need to realize. There are no good people or bad people, winners or losers, people who have it together or dysfunctional people. There are only people who have sinned. Without God and without hope in this world that God saves us by sheer act of his grace, by sheer act of his goodness. Law speaks of merit, and no merit of ours brings us closer to God. No merit at all. It's a gift of righteousness that Christ brings us closer to him. It's a gift from him that brings us closer to him. And listen, 
it's not, they, I'm glad we've had a good life, some of us. We haven't done these things. But man, I don't want to look down on somebody who's had a terrible life. Because it could have been me, right? I could have been born into that kind of situation. It's the gospel that we are justified by faith alone in Christ's finished work. The only ticket that matters, the only ticket that really matters is the I believe in Christ ticket. And it says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Our good birth and good works are not enough. Only Jesus can justify us. Notice the logic of Paul's train of thought in this verse. Because he knows the only provision that counts is the faithfulness of God's Son unto death. That's the only thing he knows. He knows that's the only thing that counts. And it says this, So, he says, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by the provision of Christ and not by the provision of the law. Rather than relying upon the law with its works, Paul has fled to Christ for salvation from sin and condemnation. So, are we trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our right standing with God? Are we trusting in him alone? Because trust and faith, they're synonymous. They work together. But the problem is this. Faith is commonly misunderstood as referring to something you do with your head rather than your whole person. Something we do within our head rather than our whole life, rather than the whole person of who we are. I've often heard people say that they believe in Jesus or have faith in Jesus, yet there's very little evidence in their lives that they're actually trusting in Jesus, relying upon him, or clinging to him. A lot of people believe, a lot of people say, yeah, he's real, but a lot of people aren't trusting everything to him. The other problem is that faith can be seen as a one-time thing, right? We came to faith. We believe, and then we get on with the rest of our Christian lives. I have a faith. But believing, trusting, having faith in Jesus isn't only how we start our Christian walk, but how we continue in the Christian life. The truth of the gospel is this. The truth of the gospel is the truth of the gospel, whether you're a non-Christian or a new Christian or a seasoned Christian. The call of the gospel is always and forever the same, trusting in Christ alone, trust in him. But the temptation is also always and forever the same, to try to finish the Christian race differently than how we began. We want to end differently than how we started our faith. I want it to look different from when I began. I heard this quote, the gospel isn't the diving board, it's the pool. It's not just the way we begin our life. We've heard the gospel, we've accepted it, but it's how we continue in our lives. Because believing in God is good. And like I said, a lot of people believe, but fully trusting in him justifies us. I'll call the worship team up. We're just going to close. If we believe and trust, then there is evidence of that in our lives. See, the Galatians, they started well. They started really well. They had the faith. 
they started off doing well. But then they got lost because they started to put their faith and trust in something else. <clears throat> we don't just start by believing and trusting. We continue by believing and trusting. We must continue by believing and trusting. The gospel is not just about me being in, me being in Christ. It's not just about that where I get his righteousness, but about him being in me, where I flow with his power. The Christian identity is I'm in Christ, he is in me. You see, when God sees you now, he mostly sees himself. Not because he doesn't think you're great. He created you in his image, he thinks you're great. But he doesn't see you, he sees someone clothed with Christ's righteousness and filled with Christ's resurrection power. That same power that's in him is now in you. This is why we can do great things because of Christ in us. He's in us. And so, you may feel abandoned, but in Christ, you are loved by God. You may feel condemned, but in Christ, you are spotless and above reproach. You may feel down on your luck, but in Christ you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, and all the works together are for good. You may feel neglected by others, but in Christ you have been chosen by God, and my goodness, can we shout amen to that. You may feel defeated by temptation, but in Christ you have died to sin's power, and Christ now lives through you. That power lives through you. You may feel dead and lifeless like Bernie. Not our Bernie, weekend at Bernie Bernie's. But in Christ you have resurrection life coursing through your veins. You may feel like you aren't making any difference in life. But in Christ you are raised with Jesus and seated in the heavenly places and he has blessed you to be a blessing. You may feel broken, but in Christ you've been made complete. These are the great truths of being clothed in his righteousness. There's nothing we can do. It's everything he does. In him, you're a new creation. You're adopted into this family. You are a partaker of the divine nature. And you're a beloved child of God. I'm going to pray and then pass it off to Curtis. And he's going to lead us in song. It's their closing song. As he leads us in song, if you want prayer for anything, I'm, I'm down here at the front. I would be willing and loving, would love to pray with you. But let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you that it's not anything that we can do. It's all that you've done. Lord, you found us. Lord, we simply responded to you as you pursued us. Lord, and you're pursuing many people right now, so we pray that as you pursue them, Lord, they will respond. Lord, we thank you that it's not because how we were born, Lord, because I was born into a Christian family, that you know, I, now I'm good. It wasn't because, you know, I've done good things, like, I, I, I've done good things. That's not it that makes me justified before you that clothes me in your righteousness, it's simply believing in you and faith alone and trusting in you in my life. So we want to let that truth ring in our lives, Father. In your name, amen.